Last year at about this time, we put an invitation out for anybody who was students who wanted to hop on a bus with a bunch of people from Sioux City and go all the way down to the Passion Conference, which was a very long drive, but an incredible event. After that, some people from Sioux City last year thought, what if instead of driving all down to Passion, we called Passion and asked them if they could help us do a conference here, an extension site? So a dream started building a little bit bigger, and these thoughts came together, and the idea is that on February 27, 28, the Digital Age, Revelate, some other people are all going to come together, Campus Crusade for Life speakers from Colorado, uh, Wisconsin, are going to be joining a teaching team. We've invited 18 colleges in the area to come together for about 30 hours of reflection on a passage from Philippians 2. What would happen if we all elevated Christ a little further within our lives? What if we talked with other colleges, not just the ones we compete against when we play in sports, but what if we got together with these people and, and searched out the heart of God a little bit together and did something different together as colleges? So we're going to try that out on February 27, 28. If anybody is interested in joining us, I'll send you out an email later today with the links and information. And in fact, Campus Ministries, uh, for everybody who signs up, um, we'll reimburse you $25 of the cost, we'll provide you transportation, and if you want to spend the night in Sioux City, um, we'll also help set up accommodations for $25 per person. So, there's the invitation, you'll be getting an email later in the day, and now you'll know what it's all about, and I'm incredibly excited about this event, this is going to be fun. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we just saying that all the fitness that you require of us is that we would know how much we need you. Father, our sins and our shortcomings, our anxieties and our fears remind us that we need you. We need your truth spoken over us. We need your life coursing through us. We need you. Teach us how to do that and how to find you. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever done one of these where you fall asleep at night and you make yourself some sort of mental commitment that in the morning you are going to get up early and this is going to be the day where you are going to start getting up early and doing that early morning devotional practice you've always heard that the spiritual gurus do. But then when the morning comes, you hit your snooze button a couple too many times and it just doesn't happen. Or you ever set out a schedule for yourself where you were going to make some new plan for Bible reading and it lasted maybe about four days and then you fell off the wagon and it was hard to get back on again. You ever promised God, I will never do that sin ever again only to find yourself doing it before the sun goes down that night. Ever been bothered by the fact on a Sunday morning that you'd rather sleep in than go to church sometime? Ever thought about skipping a chapel? You know, like when there's a guest speaker or something? <laughs> you ever have doubts? You ever wonder if God's listening? You ever wonder if you're actually growing? You ever wonder if he's really there? Not me. I went to a seminary and I have this little certificate that's on my windowsill in my office. It says, I am a master of divinity. <laughs> now I know there's some doctors in the room 
But would you rather be a doctor or a master? Come on. <laughs> Queen of the sciences, baby. <laughs> I have a more honest artifact that hangs in my office, right behind my desk. You know those oxygen masks that pop out of planes when apparently it's flying down and air is not getting quite enough oxygen into the cabin and then the, you get a little instruction when you get on the airplane and the flight attendant says, please secure your mask before assisting others. This is my reminder in my office to secure my mask before assisting others. Unless I'm growing richly in the Lord, unless I'm ministering out of my character and who I am and who I really really am before him and how much I need him and how much I need his spirit like I need breath, I'm really not going to be a whole lot of value to anybody. So how do you do that, though? Like, I mean, how do you really do that? I could give a message and say, you really need to spend more time with the Lord and you really need to do more devotions, but you've already thought that before. So how do you? I'm not 100% sure. But I do know this, that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke these words to us. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek find. And those who knock, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to good give, good, good, easy for me to say, Give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The picture of a father in waiting, just saying, ask me. Ask me. I mean, do we really know that God wants to be found? God wants to reveal himself. God wants to take you deeper into himself, into his being, into his love. And is that a picture that we really have of him? But it's not easy, is it? Sometimes I've thought I actually only really wanted to get that certificate and go into ministry so I could finally be one voice that actually stands up front of the pulpit and says, honestly, this is really hard and I'm not very good at it either sometimes, even if it was just my own voice. Because I think we need to hear that and acknowledge these things together. It is hard. It's really hard. So I don't have all the answers, but I have lots of questions and a couple of ideas I wanted to share with you today. Now, these are not rules. They are not quick fixes. These are six non-principles on why you might not be doing so good at devotions. Fair enough? Number one, you can't be fixed if you don't know you're broken. Now, this sounds kind of obvious, but... We have to acknowledge the fact that we remain in a world all around us that keeps telling us that maturity is defined by the ability to stand independently. You will be a man in this world when you can stand on your own two feet. But the funny thing is, in the message of the Bible, you will be a man in the kingdom of God if you can be kneeling and broken before the cross. Another broad general stereotype from culture. You will be an actualized woman in this world when you are the desire of the world around you. But in the kingdom of God, you will be an actualized woman when you realize that you are the desire of the God who created you and loved you, and when you can find identity in that place first. Jesus said that I've come for those who are sick, not the ones who know that they're already well. 
For everybody who's ever had a longing thinking, I'm not doing this right, there must be more. You're right, congratulations, you're close to the kingdom. The best thing that you have going for you in your spiritual life might be the fact that you think you're so crappy at it. Because the most dangerous people in the world are the ones who think they're good at it. The Pharisees who knew everything about the Bible missed the coming of the kingdom of God because they thought they already had it figured out. If there is a longing within you, that's not the evidence that you're screwing it up. If there is a longing in you for more of God, it might just be the evidence that you're close to the kingdom. See what I mean by the whole non-principle thing? It's kind of backwards, isn't it? If maturity in the world is independence, maturity in the kingdom of God is an awareness of our dependence. That we haven't got it all together by ourselves, that we can't stand it our own, that we can't make a difference in the world, that we can't fix ourselves, but that we need the one who can. Feeling crappy about yourself might be the best thing you got going for you. Number two, you'll never love a God that you don't like. Here's what I mean. If your picture of God every time you come before him is a curmudgeon old man with arms crossed and a stare looking at you that says, what the hell did you do now? You probably don't want to be very close in relationship with that figure. For so many of us, our image and our picture of God is somewhat broken. It needs to be redefined and it needs to be fixed because if that's the picture that Satan has lied to us that who our God is, of course we don't want to run into his arms. Of course we don't want to spend more time with him. Of course we don't want to pursue him. He seems so angry and so distant, fickle, elusive. When you imagine God in your mind's eye, what do you see? What do you see? The evidence that I know my kids love me aren't the fact that they say thank you when I take them out for dinner. It's easy to say thanks for something that's fun. For me, the evidence that my kids love me is when they fall in the driveway, scrape their knees, get totally hurt, come running in the house crying, and want to find comfort in my arms. Then I know I have a role to play in their lives. It wasn't bought or purchased in some cheap way, but it's meaningful to them and to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is this the God and the Jesus that you imagine when you imagine spending a little more time with him? Do you see him as angry because you're not or inviting because you haven't quite gotten to the bottom of his love yet? If you're weary, if you're tired at this, the voice just says, Come. I've had a hard time in life with the experience I had in church growing up and my vision of God, and I ran very far from him for a long time. And this is one area of life where other, reader, other writers, other people who have had significant voices have really helped redefine what God looks like in my mind. And sometimes I just wanna, you need to ask the question, what does God look like to me? Because if I don't like him, I'm probably not going to want to love him. 
People who have been instrumental in my life, the likes of Mike Iaconelli, Philip Yancey, Brennan Manning, William Young, Rob Bell, John Ortberg, Dallas Willard, Richard Foster, Reggie McNeil, John Lynch, all these amazing authors and writers within our generation who have spoken and told us we can ask questions and have doubts and paint a picture of a God that is inviting for anyone whose picture of God needs a makeover. Number three. How close you feel to God isn't a matter of your sin management success rate. You'll remember, for those of you who were here last year, when John Lynch spoke and talked about the intro in the first chapter of the book, The Cure, he put this up on before us, this sort of idea that godliness is defined as more good behavior plus less wrong behavior would equal a form of godliness. More good behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. The problem with that is it all has to do with behavior. Not only that, it has to do with the fact that what we feel about our sins we believe is defining us. Satan is so interested in putting your sins in front of you. Some would argue that Satan is more interested in your sins than God is. Because if he can keep them in front of you, they continue to hold us back. They define us. They obstruct our view of the future and even our own reflection in a mirror. The truth of Christ that is spoken over us is that our sins are truly in our rearview mirror, that he is removing them from us, that he is taking them from us, that they are, do not define you. And what you feel about how bad you are, like my kid running to me when they're in pain, my feeling of my sin does not define how close God is to me. My righteousness does not come about on how godly I feel. It comes about because of what Christ has done. It's his movement towards me in the incarnation. It's his desire to be with me in the midst of all my brokenness. That's what makes me godly. That's what makes me right with him. So sometimes we need to, over, we need to offer a corrective to ourselves. Your closeness to God is not defined by what you feel. It's defined by the truth that is spoken over you. And if you're not listening to that truth enough, if you're not putting it in front of your own eyes, then the lies of the world will continue to deceive you. Receive his truth. This is a significant obstacle. The reason why we're talking about this today is when we asked and put out the survey to alumni, faculty, and staff, one of your major responses was, I want to know how to go deeper with the Lord. I want to know what a vibrant spiritual life looks like. In the second chapter of The Me I Want to Be, John Ortberg says this, a recent study by the Barna Group found that the number one challenge to helping people grow spiritually is that most people equate spiritual maturity with trying hard to follow the rules in the Bible. No wonder people also said they find themselves unmotivated to pursue spiritual growth. If I think God's aim is to produce rule followers, spiritual growth will always be an obligation rather than a desire of my heart. So we need to ask ourselves, too, if our whole concept and idea of what it is that we think of a person alive in the faith looks like. It's not a better rule follower. Those things won't lead us into the presence of Christ or lead us into righteousness. They are the byproduct of being in the presence of Christ and His righteousness redefining us. When our idea of sin is too big and too powerful in our lives... And when spiritual formation is really about better rule following, the problem is, is that we've marginalized the work of the cross and the size of God in our life 
We've given sin too big of a place. Our God is too small. A big picture of God diminishes sin within us. And it frees us from it. See, sin only goes away. The things that you want to fix in your life don't go away by working harder at them. They go away when you give them less power. It's the only sin management tool. The cross, not your effort. Number four, there is no formula. I'm reading a book right now called Vision Map by a man by the name of Joel Malm, and he started this company that would take people on exciting adventures like climbing Mount Everest. And while you would go through that process, you would re-envision sort of what it is that you're going with your life and build the steps in place to go back and change your life and become this person. In the first chapter of this book, he talks over and over again, there is no formula. Let me repeat that again. There is no formula. There are no overnight success stories. I say it again, there are no overnight success stories. That's not how spiritual formation works. We're all looking for efficiency because it's a huge value within our culture. But disciples are formed slowly, not overnight. Paul got a Damascus Road experience but then disappeared for years before he came back to Jerusalem to reread the scriptures and refigure it out. Transformation isn't instantaneous. It's a slow burn within us that God ignites. There's no formula. And there's no formula that's going to offer us a trick that sort of lets this happen in an easier way. I was talking with this with, about this with John last week. And John said something that's still been in my head since then. He said, Christianity isn't complicated, it's just hard. Isn't that the truth? It's not complicated. Christianity becomes complicated when we drift off center, right? When we make it about the methodology and the different disciplines and all the extra things and the little piddly doctrinal differences that separate one denomination from another, we become far from the kingdom when we are in those places. But a laser focus tells us that the gospel message really isn't that complicated. It's just hard. We have to acknowledge that. You're not broken because it's not coming easy to you. You're close to the kingdom because it's not coming easy to you. It was supposed to not be easy. We know that, right? Number five, you won't really draw near to God if you love your sin more than him. Now, this should sound really obvious to us, but there's a whole aspect of this that works at a subconscious level, I think. And I've found this time and time again, when there are things in our life, idols that we are still propping up, that hoping are going to give us some form of life, I think that those of us who have been raised in the scriptural truths know full well what an all-consuming gospel demands of us. And if we still like our idols and like our sins more than we want to admit, we won't go before the face of God because we don't want him to take them away. Let's be honest with ourselves. We will hide from God at times because we don't want to change We like our idols. We like our sins. I think a lot of the time we already know what God would say if we were to encounter him face to face about the things that need to change within our life. So subconsciously we just kind of avoid devotions or tell other people it's harder than it is or run away from it for probably reasons that we're not willing to admit. We'd already know what he would say because he's been saying it within us. I have a friend whose spiritual practice every morning is to wake up 
to sit in meditation and imagine the Spirit of God washing him from his toes all the way up slowly in a 30-minute process through the tip of his head and his fingertips. Imagining every part along the way, what part is corrupted by sin and where God needs to reveal to him a new way that he needs to be redeemed and made new. What a great practice. Maybe we could try that more. Slow down and just trust the work of the Spirit that he wants to talk and wants to tell us things. And next week, actually, we're going to spend the entire chapel talking about how it is that God speaks to us today, how we hear his voice in terms of how we go deeper with him. The other way, of course, this happens with how we deal with our sin is historically through the practice of confession. If there are toxins within us, if there are sins within us and we are not confessing them, then they simply stay within. It's our release valve. It's what sets us free. Not only that, every great historical revival in history has come about through a giant process of confession. Do we recognize that? We are so afraid to tell our fellow brothers and sisters around us, I am screwed up, I am broken, I did this today. But it's so hard to move past that moment if that sin stays inside and isn't being released from us through the process of confession. And that's what it does, it frees us. Finally, one more. These are all the things that how we see God and how things can be redone in terms of our understanding of him and realizing that it's his work. But here's the one thing I think a little more that we can put on ourselves. you got to put yourself in good soil when you can because sometimes you do get the option. If you sign up to play football at Door College and never go to a practice, never think about football when you're not there, don't expect to get a lot of playing time on game day. Why would the coach go to you when the game is on the line? Right? If you never show up for a class, never read the books, never do the homework, never even acknowledge that you have a professor, I don't think you're going to do that hot on the final exam. I'm going to be honest with you. Why would you? You've got to put yourself in the place. This is what spiritual disciplines have always been for. It's not that the methodology in and of itself will save you. It's not a trick that arm wrestles God into loving you more or making you grow deeper with him. A spiritual discipline is an acknowledgement that my heart is broken, that I probably want the things of this world right now and not the things of the kingdom. So I'm going to put myself in a place to open myself up to the work that God might be doing. It is really hard to hear the best sermon of your life if you never go to church. Right? Make a commitment within yourself. If you want to change something, change something. This is part of the vision mapping process of life, right? You want to do something different? Door to college, I'll challenge you. Think about what your ambitions are and what you really want to accomplish in something as simple as spring break. You want to do something different? You want to see God in a new way? Sign up for a missional experience. Go see him. Sign up for Plia. There is a time to go to Fort Lauderdale and hang out with your friends. Those are good and beautiful things. But ask yourself deep down, where do I want to go on spring break and what do I want to experience? Let's be, just be honest with ourselves. What do we really want? I think putting ourselves in a place to receive lets us change that. Sign up for the Elevate Conference. Go somewhere you haven't been before. But keep in mind that these little practices that we put in, they aren't your heart's pacemaker. They're the defibrillator. Right? When you're numb and nothing's going on, it's the boom, shock moment. It's not sustainable. It's just the one thing you sort of do to throw a monkey wrench into the gears of your life and throw it all up in the air so they can be put back together in a little more healthy way. As we've said these things and explored these things, are there things that the Spirit is already revealing to you now and challenging you with? 
I'm going to ask the guys to come on up. We're going to close in some singing. And I asked them to do this today so we could create space at the end of chapel. So whatever it is that God's churning inside of you, whatever he's inviting you to more of, Offer before him in song. Make a promise to him right now of something that you want to change or grow in or that you're longing for and you just need to acknowledge. Tell a roommate or a friend when you leave today. Write it down in a journal. Make a pact with your room that you're going to do something different that's going to put you in a place to experience more of him. We sing our voices to awaken our souls, to call us to what we want more of, to tell our hearts what we really, really want. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, right? Because sometimes I'm not there. Will you join us in singing and interact with the Lord as he leads you?